So it's been quite a, an interesting discussion um, over the last year. I've got a daughter who's five. So I've, like, obviously I'm a teacher and my partner, he's a teacher. Um, and yesterday my daughter started school. Yep. But it's been quite an interesting discussion over the last year about where we're going to send her, mm-hmm. you know, to school. You know, what kind of things we're looking for yep. as parents, but also mm. as a teacher. Yeah. You know, because having that understanding is a good thing, but it's yep. also probably a bad thing yeah. because we know too much. Yep. Um, but then it's also been quite interesting with our family. Mm-hmm. My mum has quite a few views, mm-hmm. you know, and, and not really strong views, but I suppose views enough that she wants to share with us. Yep. Because I think, like we all do, we want the best for for my little girl, yeah. you know, and, and so I can see totally where she's coming from. It's not anything else. It's just she wants to see her succeed really well, you know, mm. when she grows up. Yeah. And so what's been quite interesting over the last few years, actually, since she was even younger, you know, uh, my mum did actually work as um, an integration aide for a few years in a quite, you know, quite a well-known school. Mm-hmm. And since and she loved it, raved about mm-hmm. it, thought it was you know, the best thing and yeah. had such a fabulous experience that not only did she want me to work there as a teacher to have that same kind of experience and the love, mm-hmm. but also I think she saw the best of what, how those children succeeded over mm-hmm. her time there, that she felt that maybe this would be a great thing for Charlie. Mm-hmm. And so what's really interesting, I suppose, is that we're torn, you know, with my mother because Brett and I are both primary public school teachers mm-hmm. You know, and and uh, you know we we think our system works, and we're quite proud of it, and we're quite proud of what we do in the classroom and how our students succeed, and mm-hmm. you know, and, and very passionate. Um, and then listening to you know my my mother talk about a, another well known school and mm-hmm. the things that are going quite well for her. So, and I suppose it makes me think, you know, about what we do want for her. But then also right at the moment too is that I don't actually know, maybe what Charlie's going to be like at school. Mm. You know, she. I think she's going to do reasonably well. She's, you know, quite switched on. Mm. But, you know, she might decide she wants to be a hairdresser or yeah. she wants to go be a mechanic mm. and that's completely fine. Yeah. So then I suppose then starting to think about secondary schools, which my mum's already been at me about. <laughs> <laughs> you need to go do your – I'm like, she's just started prep. I'm not ready for this secondary school discussion already. We've just made our, you know, our primary school um, discussion. So I suppose – you know, is, yeah, already, you know, let's go do those tours. And so, I, but I don't know yet what she's going to be like at school. You know, I have a bit more of an understanding of it here, but it's quite, it's it's tricky already, you know. And so now trying to find, you know, maybe what's best in the end for Charlie rather yeah. than anybody else. Yeah. But I suppose just really finding that balance between, you know, our views and family views but even you know our family and friends I have Mm. so many teachers in my circle that there's always these discussions around education so yeah it's really quite interesting I I know what you mean those discussions are surprising I think when when you realize that somebody else is using a very different set of criteria to make judgment around what would make for a good school Mm. alarmingly my my child goes into year four this year yep and alarmingly, I had my first serious discussion with another parent around secondary school sort of choices as well. Yep. Luckily, it wasn't when he was five. Um, <laughs> or four or yeah. three or two. I think it was actually from two. Maybe even when she was in my stomach still, possibly. <laughs> but yeah. Probably feels like it. Yeah. Um, and so I had this discussion with two of my cousins um, over the summer break. And what, what struck me was the, the very different angles they came at it from. Yep. So one of my cousins is an engineer. And he was very... 
he's a lot of things, but one of the things as an engineer and what struck me was how engineeringly he thought about education. Yep. So his primary focus was how to get the highest number for his child on the TER at the yep. end of the educators. Yep. Um, and that was his like narrow, narrow focus. You know, it surprised me just how, how narrow a focus he was as a secondary school teacher. Um, and, and he had, a, again, a very different set of criteria around why he would make decisions to I did. Um, and, and for him, he saw more uh, sort of cultural reproduction. As, yep. And he didn't word it like that. No. But when you think about what he was talking about, mm. that's what he was talking about. He was talking about sending his child to a place much like the community mm. they lived in. Yes. And he wanted to show grow up in that kind mm. of environment yep. and, and to reproduce the, the kind of cultural values that they have. Yep. Um, and I don't remember him even discussing a, a TER. That, that was a somewhat a secondary consideration. Yes. He wanted yes. to make sure his children went to schools where they would, yeah, um, mix with people who were going to become doctors and lawyers, mm. even if they didn't become doctors and lawyers themselves. It was that networking and yes. those sort of things. And yes. That's another criteria mm. that people take into schools. Um, and I think they were a bit taken back by my, you know, take on it, which mm. was I want my child mixed with a large diversity of yes. people. Yes. I want him to, you know, understand how to. That, that, that he's in a very privileged position and I want him to feel that privilege by seeing others who don't have it. Yes. Um, and, I, and I think, yeah, it hadn't even occurred to either of them that somebody may have that goal for their child at yes, school. Yes, it's just about that final, you know, score yeah. right at the end. Yeah. But, yeah, becoming citizens and, yeah. you know, all of those things Yeah, exactly, well, yeah. yeah. So our, our overall topic for today is what is education for? And that's a really difficult topic because mm. it can be for... A, any number of things, as our discussions with family members have yep, proven, yep, yep. we don't all take into it the same set of values in the first place. No. So our, our, our big question becomes, how do we reconcile the fact that parents, teachers and communities can't necessarily agree on mm. what education is for? I feel mm. like that sits at the heart of a lot of the problems with education. That's why uh, you know, particular newspapers write editorials that slam teachers yep. because they don't think teachers are working towards the same goals they want to see young people young people have. Yep. That's why there's a constant back and forth between the two major parties in this country and their and their goals for education yep. and their goals for um, how, how they fund education. Yep. Yep. Um, so yeah, I think it, it's a difficult question to put mm. your finger on. But I think it's one of the most core questions of education is how do we try and come to an agreement or an understanding? And that, that happens at many levels. It happens at a community-wide Australia level. Mm -hmm. But it also happens just in your own classroom with yep. families you have who may not like the way you're teaching because they have a very different goal yes. from one another. If you've got yes. 30 kids, you've potentially got 30, 60 parents mm. who have different goals oh, and ideas for their children. Definitely, definitely. And uh, I mean, even just, you know, parent-teacher interviews and mm. discussions along the way, yeah. you know, and parents maybe questioning what we're doing mm. and saying, well, actually, you know, this is where, yeah, you know, that's huge, definitely. So, yeah, even in your own classroom, let alone different schools and yeah. even across Victoria. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and with that, we'll bring in our, our guest for today, mm -hmm. um, who is Michael Victory. He's the Executive Officer here at the Teacher Learning Network, which also makes him our boss. So make sure you're nice to him today, Kate. <laughs> of course, we're always nice to him. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the welcome, Max and Kate. <laughs> Michael, did you want to just respond to our discussion there around you know, how important do you think this is as an issue for, for real classroom teachers? You know, it's very easy to have this big academic debate and talk about 
you know, issues I raised like you know, cultural reproduction and those sort of topics. But some of those get quite academic. Yeah. How much do you think this really influences the real work of a real teacher? Oh, Max, how long have we got? This is my favourite topic <laughs> in the entire world. Um, and I, I guess for me, it's one of those things that I wish teachers had more time to mm -hmm. talk about this. Because for me, what this topic invites is questions around what are schools for, what are early childhood centres or kindergartens mm -hmm. for, and what's the role and purpose of teaching mm -hmm. that throws that up. And I guess I'll start with my own couple of anecdotes uh, which relate to this. Um, I did my initial teacher training at Macquarie University in Sydney, so fabulous university, great teacher training, loved it. Uh, and my first, um, my um, practicum, which was a year-long practicum, was at a selective high school mm -hmm. in uh, the northeast of northwest sorry of Sydney. And I can remember consciously going into that classroom every Wednesday because Wednesday was my prac day, and thinking these kids are smarter than I am. Mm -hmm. Every minute I am in that classroom, I'm actually wasting their time. Yeah. They are learning nothing from me. And that, for me, was a really scary thing about moving into teaching, is that what am I actually contributing? How am I improving the lives mm. of these students? My first uh, teaching was then in the far west of New South Wales. I went out to Broken Hill. Um, so a regional town, um, uh, quite a high indigenous population, although a lot of it at that stage unacknowledged. Uh, lots of kids from the bush. Um, and all of a sudden I found that there was a purpose there because mm -hmm. these kids didn't have a lot of social interaction necessarily. Yeah. Um, and what I did is I went there as an English history teacher but find myself, found myself doing a lot of sports coaching and playing mm -hmm. sport with kids and doing that sort of stuff and just building those relationships. Mm -hmm. And it seemed to me that what I was doing was helping those kids think about a world beyond their immediate world because yeah. I'd had yes. more experiences than they'd had. Yeah. Know, and I was very fortunate. And then I guess the third one that might sort of begin to uh, open up the discussion in terms of my thinking is that then when I first went to teach a Year 12 or a VCE or a HSC class that was down in regional Victoria, so in Gippsland, and I can remember consciously thinking as I went to school each day that the role I was playing was important because mm. I was a conduit between what these kids wanted for their life mm. How they would get there. So, the year 12 classes that I was teaching were obviously going to contribute to their what we would now call their ATAR score, and that would either get them into the course they wanted to do at university mm. or to TAFE or mm. wherever else. Mm. And I was very conscious that my role was somehow a conduit in there, mm. and I loved that. Yeah. When I look back at it now, it's incredibly arrogant, it's incredibly <laughs> patronizing, <laughs> but I did think about that, and you said the word socialization, Max, and I did think about what my role and socialising those kids mm -hmm. for the world that they were going into. And uh, many of them have achieved fabulous things and have gone on to be a, a much better human being than I ever will be. Um, but that's to their making, not mine. But it was the way I thought about yeah. my work as a teacher. I noticed that you've brought along quite a few books with you today, Michael, and you may be the first, no, definitely the first guest to bring a range of reference materials. Yeah, like you. a huge amount, which you thought was actually mine to start with, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. came in here and I was like, did you bring those books, Dave? Yeah. No. There's what, two, three, four, five, plus a whole lot of, yeah. Um, so well, I might start the book club then with, with, with the one that I think is a really good discussion of this concept. I think it's, I don't know, I feel like it doesn't get the acknowledgement that it deserves. It's called um, Centering Educational Administration. It's by Robert J. Starrett. Um, what, I, what I like here is that he's thinking really hard about um, how we craft 
our language and our vision around schools and school leadership so that it includes everyone, so that we get away from this sort of progressive and conservative left-right sort of divide that dominates too much of the, at least the external noise of schooling. Yeah. Um, and try and find a way to at least unite people and try and find mm -hmm. a vision that everyone can get behind. Mm -hmm. I think that's more important than than um, almost anything in yep. the education debate. Yep. Um, so he comes up with three themes. Um, that education is about cultivating meaning, community and responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, cultivating because it's, you know, you, you're not just giving. Um, and, yeah, so I'll go into quickly um, where he talks about each of those three. So meaning is where you talk about learning. But he tries to go beyond just learning facts and figures and, and talk about, you know, it, it's to develop meaning. It's so students have a sense of meaning and a sense of understanding about the world. Um, and, you know, in that whole, um, you know, some people try and reduce teaching to being, you know, the three R's. Yep. Um, but in that sense, the, the idea of meaning can satisfy those people by the word meaning means real life. We're talking about real things, real objects, you know, actual usability of what you learn. Yet for those people that want to see education be more expansive, uh, talking about meaning can help um, people understand that knowledge is contextual and it's contested and that it continues to be evolving. Mm -hmm. um, so in that sense, he, he tries to use the word meaning to sort of bring everybody on board with that idea. Um, in the idea of uh, community, I like this one because I think before reading this, I didn't see community as that valuable yep. aspect of um, education. I think I saw it as separate yep. education. We yep. have our body of knowledge. We try and give them to the kids. Deal done. Mm -hmm. um, but here he says that, um, uh, that when you're trying to build your school vision mm. and what your school is about, Engaging with the community is really important. Mm. So unless the community of parents and the wider community around your school really agree with your mission, yep. then, then what kind of mission is mm. it? Mm. Um, and and then again, if you're looking for people, if you're trying to encourage people who sit on the more progressive side of education to buy into this concept, then community can be quite wide. And, and, and it starts to say that things like school is about more than just education. It's about, you know, building links, it's about understanding the world, it's understanding the community you're in and understanding further. Um, responsibility was that third theme he yep. has, and I love this one. This one um, isn't one I would have naturally been inclined to go to. Um, I'm hesitant here, but there's a section here which I think sums up the idea around responsibility that I really like, and I, this is my favourite quote in education. You know how everyone prints mm. out their little quotes and yep. puts them on the wall and stuff yep. like that? This is mine. Um, so this is his take on how you address the idea of responsibility with the students at a school. Um, so I'm going to read here. Um, the major sermon to the students is this. You do not have the moral op option to choose not to learn. Choosing not to learn is choosing not to know what you will need to know in order to make a contribution to the world. Your chosen ignorance may be the occasion of an accident, the loss of life, the failure of an important project, the frustration of the community dream, or the disappointment of people who are counting on you to perform. An organisation or community's achievement of excellence is dependent not only on the quality of its most talented members, but on the intelligent cooperation of its ordinary members like you. The shoddy or incompetent work of anyone diminishes the achievement of the whole. As a civilization, we've achieved whatever level of greatness, excellence and good order because countless people like you knew what to do when it counted most. 
Mm. They were prepared. Um, that is why learning what you learn in school is not only a privilege, but a duty to yourselves, to your community, to future children and grandchildren. Um, and I choke up a bit reading that. Yeah. I, I struggle with that one. <laughs> um, I, like, I really like that, actually. Yeah. yeah, I really like that. And and my sense is that that's a unifying theme. Mm. You could get somebody who politically sat quite an opposite end of a scale from me. I, I think you could probably get them to buy into a oh, statement yeah. like that. Um, yeah. I could buy in straight away, Max. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I think it's fabulous. Love it. And a bit like you, I've got um, the hairs on the back of my neck mm. standing up when you hear people talk mm. about education. And I think that's what I love is that as educators, every day we go into work, something is happening in our lives and the lives of the other people. That, so we have the privilege of working with other people, not just with a computer or a machine or mm. something like mm. that. Um, that's both a privilege but also incredibly demanding mm. and exacting on us. Um, and so we constantly engage in this idea of teaching and learning. So most, so what I hear him saying there is about the importance of the responsibility for students to learn. A lot of my reading recently has been about the responsibility for teachers to teach. Yeah. Uh, and so a lot of the, uh, the work that I'm reading is, is trying to stop people, teachers, moving into just thinking about learning but thinking about teaching as well. Mm -hmm. So this particular guy I'm reading, uh, his name is Gert Biesta, um, and I apologise for any Dutch people who are listening because that pronunciation is probably terrible. But if you want to Google him, it's his surname is B-I-E-S-T-A. And there'll be a link on the Tailing website at some point in time. And almost certainly take that advice about not um, listening to Michael's pronunciation because I've worked here for seven years and you still can't say my surname. <laughs> it's, one, it's one of my failings. There are not many, but that's one of them. Um, so what he talks about, um, he's got a particular problem with what he says is learnification. Mm -hmm. So all of our discussion around education is now focused on learning. And what he says is that really as a teacher, we actually don't have a lot of influence on that. What we can do is focus on what we do as a teacher and what the student chooses to learn mm -hmm. or how the student engages mm -hmm. in the learning um, is really a choice that they make. And what we do, and this comes back, we've done another podcast on Hattie when I was talking mm. about feedback, yep. student behaviour is mm. feedback to you. So he's not saying you don't take on board the feedback from your students, but in the end you've got to focus on what you can do as a teacher. And that's what we have control over and that's mm. what we can manage. Um, and I think it's a really powerful way for us to think about our work as teachers because what it forces us to do is to say, well, what am I doing when I walk into that classroom? What am I doing when I walk into that learning space? When I get out of bed in the morning, what am I going to my workplace to do? Mm. And that's the thing that he's really encouraging us to think about. <clears throat> and if you ask me the question, what does he think the purpose of education mm. is, I would ask that. I would answer that for you. So, Michael, um, what you've just mentioned <laughs> Gert Fiesta, who I'm also probably pronouncing wrong because I learned it from you. <laughs> what does he think the purpose of education is? Funny you should ask, Max. Um, look, I, for me, he actually distilled down the three things that education is about uh, in a way that makes sense to me and is easily readable and easily understandable. So I'm going to go through them now since you asked. Um, the first one, he talks about qualification, um, and that's mm -hmm. obvious to everyone. So, you know, have we taught students how to read to write? Have we taught them how to tie their shoelaces at a very younger level? You know, have we taught them how to pass the NAPCAN test? Have we taught them 
how to get into the TAFE course, the mm -hmm. university course to get into the job they want to do. Yep. So they need qualifications mm -hmm. for all of those things. Tick that box. And that's an easy one to overlook, isn't it? For yep. people like you and me who like to pontificate about this yep. kind of thing. We're like, I'm, I'm always, oh, education is about so much more. Yeah, yeah. But absolutely. It, it's most fun. It is about that. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, so that's number one. Yeah. Qualification, no question about it. That's what education has to be about, whether you're in early childhood centre, kindergarten, school, whatever your environment is, that's mm -hmm. what it's about. Yep. The second thing he says, which is also, I think, relatively uncontested, is that his education is about socialisation. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. how does that student we are working with move into the world and understand the world and cope with the world? So he says as teachers, we've got a responsibility to help those students and that can have grand themes, like we introduce them to the great literature of the world, the great artworks of the world, but we also introduce them into the way that society operates. Yep. You know, and sometimes that could be something like civics education as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how does our democracy work? How mm -hmm. does our country work through other people? So I think that's probably relatively uncontested, although some people might say, oh, you know, that's the parents' job or the family's mm -hmm. job or something mm -hmm. else. But I think these days most of the teachers I interact with and talk to mm -hmm. would say that's not contested. Mm. His third one, which I'm sure is contested and is actually harder to explain, uh, but I think is really important. He uses the word subjectification mm -hmm. and it's got a funny couple of meanings um, and I don't know whether that's in the translation from his original from his original language Dutch to English, although he's a fluent English speaker as well. But it comes from this concept of thinking about the subject. So who is the child? Who is the person? And they talk about them as a subject not the subjects we teach in the curriculum. Mm. Yes. So subjectification is how we work with that person mm -hmm. to bring them into their full being. Yep. Mm -hmm. So he uses the phrase, how does a person come into the world? And he would argue that as educators, we've got a responsibility to help that student mm. come into the world. Mm -hmm. They will do it on their own terms, so we can't control that, but we've got to create our learning environment in a way that they are free to be who they want to be and that they are free to react to our teaching in a way that's appropriate to them. So, and this comes back to, and I know we've had a discussion about Hattie and we might come back to it, but when he talks about subjectification, he would question this whole idea of stating the learning intention in a classroom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You might have an aim as a teacher that the students might learn their three times tables. What the students learn might well be very different to that. Yes. It might be better. might be better. And or, that's what he says yeah. is this idea of subjectification mm. is it leaving the room open for the child mm. to learn what's important to them. Mm. And he doesn't say that, and it's not this sort of, you know, namby-pamby sort of, you know, pseudo-lefty progressive mm. thing and let the kids learn what they yeah. want to learn. It's not that. It's more sophisticated than that. Mm. But it's recognising that we're dealing with human beings, mm -hmm. that those human beings are individuals and yep. people in their own right, mm -hmm. and that we need to leave room for them and to support them to grow to be those human beings. Yeah. And Max, you and I had a brief conversation yesterday about this, that mm. this is something I'm learning from early childhood teachers, um, that a lot of my thinking as a teacher was around, well, I'm educating this child for their future. Mm. You know, this is where they're going to go. So when I was teaching Year 12, it's like I'm going to help you get into your chosen course so that your future yeah. will be okay. And what I'm learning from early childhood teachers is, in fact, the child exists now in the world mm. now. Mm. And so the education process is about the now. Mm. 
And so, Kate, you were saying in your introduction around people encouraging you to think about secondary school <laughs> for Charlie, Which, who started yeah, school just, yesterday. Yeah, exactly. Now, what about Charlie now? Yes. Charlie exists now. Yes, exactly. And so as a teacher, what I'm trying to do is to say, okay, I'm interacting with your daughter, Charlie. Charlie's life is important to her now mm. in this day. Mm. And that's a really hard concept, but it's one that I think I want to help keep communicating because I think it's one that teachers will come to terms with. And for me, it's the thing that drives teaching when mm. you know you're interacting with another human being yes. and you're helping them in their life, not just with the TER score, uh, yes. sorry, an ATAR score or a NAP plan result, mm. but you're really interacting with the human being. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. You'd, I mean, to expand on that idea of a student being a member of the community now, um, sort of the um, early years learning framework, sort of the national curriculum yep. framework, early childhood, um, has three themes. Um, they call them being, belonging, and becoming. So, um, belonging is obviously feeling that you belong here, you're part of this place. Um, becoming is obviously, you know, learning more for your future. But being is also one of the central elements. Yeah. It's okay that you're a child right now. Yep. And you know that's that's part of who you are, and that's that's fine. It's not something you're not broken, and I need to fix you. You're a you know competent person right now. Um, the um, Australian uh, Early Childhood Australia conference I went to yesterday, uh, last year was really big on this theme um, and, and a quote that really struck me from it was the idea that um, children aren't the citizens of the future, they're the citizens of today. Mm. And you know, sort of reframe how we look at them like that. Yep. And I think early childhood gets it right. I mean, yes. one of the, the, dis the political disappointments in the last few years, I think, um, was Julie Gillard's setting of aims for education. I think she was a fabulous... Uh, education minister and did a lot of great things mm. as a prime minister and she's gone to do some terrific work in education now so this is not a criticism of her overall career but one of the things she did is she said the measure of success for Australian education will be whether or not we reach the top five in the yeah. PISA results yeah. Yeah. and we go for someone with such a rich understanding of the world and such a deep mm. connection and relationship mm. with people it was disappointing that she came out and said that. And I get sort of why she did it, because there's a whole debate around mm. funding. It's a political issue. But what I think the result of that and other things, you know, our, the influences of America and the UK, is that what teachers are having their work reduced to is to producing measurable outcomes mm. and mm -hmm. measurable results. Yep. Now, they are important. Don't get me wrong. And this is what Beister says, is that, the three things, qualification, socialisation, subjectification, it, you know, there, there's an intermingled Venn diagram going on there. And in any given school, one thing will get more priority than another at a particular time. And if that school says, we are on about giving you the best ATAR score to get into university, well, you know what you're signing up for. Yep. In my view, that's mm. okay. Mm. Do I want my child to go there? Oh, that's a different question. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, but for me... Um, what I think most teachers go into teaching for, and the research is really clear on this, the anecdotal evidence is really clear on this, teachers go, people go into teaching to make a difference. Mm. They want to do something with students, with children, with kids, whichever term you want to use, which makes a difference in that person's life. And yep. they go into it, every teacher goes into it wanting to do that. Yep. Let's face it, you don't go into it for the status or the mm. pay. Nobody the holidays, goes into <laughs> no, exactly. and the holidays which don't exist. Um, yeah, exactly. So teachers go into it because they want to make a difference, and this is what's been, I think, taken away from them with the focus on NAP plan and PISA and all mm -hmm, the international mm -hmm. stuff. 
is that it's just about what is measurable in mm. terms of the outcomes. Mm. And what I'm keen to do is to see teachers reclaim that debate to say, well, actually, we're in this because of the relationships we're creating with the students and what we want to do is see them to become full and rich human beings yep. now and into the future. Mm. And I think once we start that debate, that's when we're starting to re-engage re teachers. Yep. And that's when a whole lot of the other work around teaching falls away because when that's your core purpose, mm. you know, there's a richness that comes with that when you get out of bed and you want to go to work and you want to actually see that. Yep. Now, Kate, I'm getting lots of nods, but you've got the classroom experience, yep. so tell yep. me. Oh, look, I was just thinking back to, you know, I had uh, grade six a couple of years ago and that's like my most recent and... The, the the students, um, you know, we had quite a few who were, I can, I can sure down in the future are going to do very well, you know. But for now in that class, you know, as a cohort, I suppose, their seven years or six years of schooling prior to me mm. were very up and down as a, as a group. And so really I came into it. I mean, one of the things that I really enjoy as a teacher is actually building those relationships. And I mm. find that's super important, you know, to, to build up that trust, build up you know, that relationship and rapport with them, feel that they can come and talk to me. Um, and, yeah, sometimes I would prefer to spend time actually talking to them as a group or one-on-one -on -one with things that are going on rather than to go, oh, gosh, right, it's reading time, mm. right, let's go. We've got, to, we've got to get this done. So I find it really difficult across a day to go, well, I know reading and writing and maths is important, mm. but I actually also think this, you know, them as a human being and as a citizen mm. of my classroom. So I spent lots of time, particularly across this year, um, you know, because I had students that had a few social issues, um, a few issues that parents had no idea that was mm -hmm. going on, quite serious things. Um, you know, and so I spent most of my time, I felt like um, a counsellor or, yeah. you know, guiding them in the right direction. But I really did enjoy that. Like, yeah. you know, that's kind of where I feel really passionate mm -hmm. about and, and have done for a few years. And, I mean, the other thing as well that was interesting in this particular year um, is that I had a huge gap of, maybe six or seven years in that one year. And so... You mean like achievement? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So according to their data. Yeah. And, you know, so trying to engage them, you know, was quite... Well, you know, engage them, but then also push them forward. Mm -hmm. So I really did have to think about them as individuals, you know, and, and, and this is where the school that I was working at, our, their focus was, you know, you did have a class focus and you did have, you know, your learning intention up on the, the board. But also you had those individual conferences and individual learning goals in yeah. all the areas so that you could just develop them and the area of need, mm -hmm. you know. And so it was really fantastic because you could actually see then the progression that they were making over the time. It wasn't so much about your class and driving those numbers. Mm -hmm. It was actually about those little individual scores. And so yeah. uh, with the, my colleagues actually in that year, we did some testing, say, for example, in maths. And, you know, but what we did is actually looked at the growth of that individual rather than the cohort and went, right, well, um, you know, this particular child, we see he actually didn't learn anything in the last, well, from what we can see mm. in the last week, mm -hmm. we actually need to go back to him and, you know, and what are we going to do about it? But actually there's also this boy from the other class, let's put them together yeah. and let's give them that specialised time. So we really found that individual learning, individualised learning, super important. Yeah. And how about... Um in your interactions with families? Because yep. this is one of those places I think it shows up fairly mm. obviously in yep. the fact that we all have different, um, you know, aims yep. for, for students. Did, did you find yourself sometimes in the middle of a discussion with a family only to realise that, wait a minute, their priorities here are entirely different from mine and 
and are in no way linked to the things I'm discussing with them right now. Yep, yep. Thinking back, say, to this particular year, I mean, of course, obviously, over the last, you know, of my career, I can think of many times. Yep. But in this particular, you know, group, I know that there was, you know, a parent that I didn't meet all year. Yep. You know, so they – and this student was struggling and needed their help and needed yep. their support. But unfortunately, I tried my best but couldn't see them. Mm. So it was up to me as an individual to do the best that I could, mm. you know. Um but then talking to some parents, you know, maybe about their social emotional needs mm-hmm. of a child that was having serious difficulty and they kind of blew me off and go, oh, they're fine, but yeah. wanted to know how they were going in reading and writing. Yeah, that's the and kind I was of like, I mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I was going, no, 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 but you, this is quite serious. Yeah. This is something <laughs> you need to yeah. think about. Yeah. Like this is actually yeah. a real issue. Mm. You need to, you know, mm. oh, yeah, no, no, it's fine. Yeah. We're, we're seeing someone outside of school. She's dealing with that's cool, you know. And so I found that really difficult. Mm. So I had to kind of continue to reiterate it. But then I had also some parents that were um, physicists, you know, like Mm -hmm. crazy, the stuff that they did. Mm. But their, I suppose, the way they were so, would come in and talk was very different, Mm. you know, their interactions with me. But, yeah, they were all about wanting to see the homework, wanting yeah. to make sure that I'd corrected it exactly yeah. and if I'd missed one correction, <laughs> they'd be in on me on Friday. Where to me I was going, is, look, he's doing really well, he's reading, let's push him in these other ways. Mm. So, yes, lots of different discussions mm. and, and most of the time trying to educate those parents are really difficult mm. because what they wanted to know is, did, is my kid getting that A? Mm. They don't care about the day-to-day. Yeah. So the parents were interested in qualification. Yes. Yeah, that was their purpose. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, and, and even seeing a C, even though C now means mm. that they are where exactly yeah. where they should be, you know. Yeah, That's or kids right. would come in going, oh, you know, I was really after that A, you know. Yeah. I'm like, do you know A's like 12 months plus ahead, yeah. you know. Grade six, you're going to be in year eight or year nine according to that. Yeah. I don't teach secondary school. Like I, I, I'm pushing you as best I can, but yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, very interesting discussions mm. with a range of parents, particularly on social and emotional mm. and the now and what I was doing. Yeah. And, and I think what you're saying shows up the complexity of the demand schools. Mm. And I think what I'd really love to see from governments is for them to come out and say, this is why we have schools set up and this is what yeah. we want to achieve. Having said that, I just said I disagree with you when mm. they did come out yeah. and say that. But, I mean, I think the contest is important. Um, the other example I want to point to in terms of, you know, what schools are for and why do we have it, um, is that those people in Victoria and I assume around the rest of Australia will well remember the Black Saturday bushfires in which a number of people lost their lives. Mm-hmm. And one of the examples I'm going to give would be translatable across to lots of natural disasters. But one of the very first things that the Victorian community did following the Black Saturday bushfires was to get the schools back up and running in so there are a couple of them have been out completely and clearly there was trauma in the rest of them. But one of the first things they did was get the school set back up. Mm. And that interested me and fascinated me because what it said is that as a community, schools have a function within the community in terms of order and organisation and system and the way that we operate. So while Biesta as a philosopher talks about qualification, socialisation and subjectification, Schools actually exist for another purpose within the community as well. So, you know, those of us that have children and jobs, we need to know where those children are between certain hours. Mm. They're at school. Mm. So sometimes we actually set up schools for a function and purpose, which is not related to the students' learning. It's actually just a 
this is where they are, they're in a safe place and we know where they are and we know mm. what happens to them while they are there. And so the Black Saturday example was in order to get routine back into people's lives after such a traumatic experience, if we get kids back to school, we know where they are, parents know where they are, parents can begin to deal with the other issues, mm. but school became the focus. And I know in those particular schools they did magnificent work with the kids who were traumatised by the um, by the devastation, by the deaths they'd experienced and all that. So I'm not talking about that, but just as a community, we knew that schools gave a structure. Now, I don't know how as teachers we grapple with that because mm. like, you see it in things like every time something happens in the community, oh, well, we should do something about that in schools. Yeah. So we now do swimming, we do bike ed, we do civics, you know, you know, and you out there, the people who are listening to the podcast and watching online, you'll be able to list off 40 things that mm. teachers now have to do that we didn't have to do <laughs> yep. before. So there's an important function mm. they provide. Mm. And I think what we've got to keep doing is be able to say as a profession, this is what we are on about. This is why this school exists. This is mm. why teaching occurs here. And sometimes we have to say to the community, we can't do that. Mm. You know, mm. We are not able to do that and do everything else you want us to do. Mm. And I think that can come from schools, but it's also got to come a little bit from our political leaders mm. as well who fund and govern the schools and mm. set directions and stuff like that. And that's, that's a great concept, but when we come to a really divisive political climate, which yeah. you know, I, I think every period sitting in a divisive political climate, yeah. I'll argue right now, probably more so than for a while, um, you know, okay, one side of politics can express a view on that, only to be replaced in three years' time by another who want to completely tear down the edifice they just made. Yeah. Um, you know, had that, that's... I think my obsession with that book around centering mm. education administration, how do we find something that we can commit to for a long term? Um, I'm, I, I was really interested in Kate's example of you know, how in a functional way she dealt with this in the classroom. Her answer was, I do something different for every one of the 30 children yep. because nobody's ever going to agree. Yep. Um, that was that was very practical, but I, I don't know it's, if that's sustainable. It's, like, can we it's keep tough. It? Yeah. Like it, it's really yeah it is really tough yeah. you know and it's it's draining and it's mm. difficult and i mean once you get into the rhythm of it it's yeah. not so bad but when you've got say 30 students mm. individual learning goals mm. for reading writing mm. maths personal and social learning mm. you know as well as making sure they're fine during the day mm. you've had a discussion with them did they, and all did the they other remember to drink enough do. water today? yeah exactly yeah. exactly yeah. so just one part of what mm. we do is already exhausting and quite challenging, mm. let alone, yeah, all the other things as well. But I would argue, Max, the mm. answer to your question, mm. and it comes from what Kate says, is that what I'd love to see is educators and teachers as a profession mm. to actually take more control of yep. our space. Mm. We've allowed, for good reason, mm. lots of other stakeholders to come into mm. our world because we know we're engaging with the community. Mm. But I think because of the divisiveness of the political environment mm. and, you know, that can is expressed in terms of policies and funding and all that sort mm. of stuff. But what I'd love to see is, as, as a profession do mm. um, is to take more control over our space yep. and really be able to articulate to the wider community what we are able to do when yep. we're working in a classroom. To be able to say, I know that's what you want for your child, but mm. I'm not able to provide that. Yep. And let the parent make a decision mm. on that bit. Um, and I think that's got to happen collectively. Yep. And I mean, I know that's why all three of us work uh, in a in an environment which promotes collectivity. So we mm -hmm. work with the AU and the IU, so the teacher unions. Um, I know that VIT gets a lot of criticism, 
and I'll join some of those criticisms. But again, it's another body which represents the teaching profession, mm -hmm. which teachers contribute. So I think what we should be doing as a profession in our spare time <laughs> um, is to sort of really take ownership of what we do and how we mm -hmm. go about doing it. And I think we can only do that if we engage in the debate with each other, yep. Yep. which is why I think a podcast is important. Mm -hmm. What we're doing at TLM is trying to get teachers to engage with what are you doing and why are you doing it, mm -hmm. what's our language as teachers, and where can we genuinely engage with the community on what we are able to and not able to do. And we can do that if we've got the language to yep. do it, yep. but we have to have a debate with each other as, as well. Mm. And I think you can bring this down to an individual level. You can say, okay, I have no individual direct control over policy directions of a country. And I, as a classroom teacher, I have no you know, strong pull in the direction even my school takes. But I can choose to decide why I continue to teach and what values are important to me. And they can continue to wake me up every morning and motivate me in my classroom and guide those thousands, hundreds of thousands of individual decisions I make every day. Sure, you know, I'm obliged to deliver a certain curriculum, mm. sometimes in a certain way by the, mm. you know, the instructional mm. method that school chooses. Mm -hmm. But there's still vast amounts of individual decisions I do based on a number of things. And if I have a really strong sense of why I teach, then, then I'm, I'm sort of more nourished by the act of teaching. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, Frank Crowther, who we use a lot, um, has five great questions. And again, if you track back through TLN journals, anybody that's listening or watching online, um, he's got five great questions he gets people to ask. And they come to this, why do you do what you do? Mm. And for me, if again, if I was in a school and working with teachers constantly, but we actually do it in our leadership programs here, we ask those questions, ask teachers to respond to it. Because you're right, if you know the values that you come from and the purpose that drives you to do what you do, mm. a lot of what you have to put up with in a school day, you can manage. Because mm. you can find the central point within it mm. that, that drives you. Um, and I think a lot of the weariness that teachers feel sometimes comes from that weight of expectation mm. that put, is put on them by yep. people. Mm -hmm. And I think what um, they often don't have time to do, and I'd encourage anyone listening to do, try and take a half an hour at some point in time soon to really narrow down and say, what are my values about teaching and education and why am I in this mm. job? Um, and once you can rediscover that, you'll find your ability to deal with the complexity of teaching a little bit easier. It's not going to solve yeah. all the problems, let's be honest, mm. but it just makes it a little bit easier if you really know why you're there, what mm. drives you. And if you're not sure, I'd encourage you to read, think, talk to people and be inspired by their ideas. So we might get back to our big question, mm -hmm. and that was how do we reconcile the fact that parents, teachers and communities can't agree on a easy definition of what schools and education is for. Mm. Uh, Michael, did you want to have a go at that? Um, yep, I would say they'll, they'll never agree, yep. mm. and that's okay. Mm. But what I think our responsibility as a teacher is to be able to articulate what we are doing and why we are doing yep. it. And, and Kate, I heard that in what you were saying mm. in terms of those parent-teacher interviews and mm. things like that. Um, while I'm not a big fan of school mission statements, mm. what I am a fan of a school saying, this is what this school stands for. Yep. Yeah. If you come to this school, mm. this is what you are coming to. Yep. Um, and I think that's terrific. And I don't care whether that's a Catholic school, an independent school, a public mm. school. Every one of those schools can do that very mm. thing. Yep. At this school, this is what we're mm -hmm. trying to yep. achieve. And then what you do is you allow parents to engage with that. You allow parents to challenge that mm. and for you to engage with that. But for me, 
it would be. We have to have the language as teachers and as educators to be able to say, this is what we're doing, this is why we are doing it, mm. and then allow the debate to happen. And the debate is not unhealthy. No. I'd agree with you. I think the part of the answer to this is around schools um, having a really clear sense of what they're for. Yep. Um, and, and being able to articulate that. And not just being able to articulate that, because I've come across a number of schools that articulate their values really well. Mm. And then you scratch slightly below the surface and you see these aren't the real values of a school. Yep. Yep. A school that says they value creativity, you can very quickly see they're actually valuing conformity. Um, and, you know, that's okay. That's that's a value some parents may want their child mm. to, to, to grow up with. Yep. In which case, they really ought to be saying they value conformity. Yep. Um, so I think you're right, but I think the mission statement, the values, whatever they choose to you know, use as their way of describing what they do and what yep. they're for, um, needs to be both articulated and lived yep. and not just articulated. Yeah. Yep. Um, just, yeah, like I agree with you, Michael, as well. And, you know, the school that I have most of my teaching experience and my most recent experience, you know, we definitely had that whole school vision that was very obvious to parents, mm. you know, and if anyone came in, it wasn't exactly the same in every classroom, mm -hmm. but you could mm -hmm. see very similar things yeah. happening. So you knew that it was like a very school-wide focus. Yeah. And so the parents did know, you know, did know that and did, most of them did agree with us and support mm -hmm. us in, mm -hmm. in the way we did things. But there were still those questions, which, because a lot of them have come from a different way of teaching as a student years ago. So it's very different between now and what mm. they were used to as, as a child. Yeah. So, you know, I think, yeah, I don't think we're ever going to come to an agreement, but I think as long as teachers can continue to share what they are doing in their classroom mm. and why it's important and why it's valuable, mm. particularly the student as a whole and their social skills mm. and their being a citizen. I think that's really important that we share that. Excellent. Thanks Thanks a lot for your contribution today, Kate, and thanks for joining us. Hey, great to be here. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, Michael. Thanks. The Teacher Learning Network podcast is hosted by Kate Chinner and Max Grarock. The Teacher Learning Network is the not-for-profit teacher professional development organisation that's supported by the Australian Education Union's Victorian branch and the Independent Education Union's Victoria Tasmania branch. We produce online and face-to-face -face professional learning opportunities for educators in schools and early childhood services. We also publish books, magazines and apps to support the education community. To view a calendar of our courses and find out more about our resources, please visit our website at www tln.org.au The Teacher Learning Network is a membership-based organisation. Schools and early childhood services join the TLN to support the individual professional learning needs of their staff. Once members, all staff can participate in our professional learning at no extra charge. To find out more about joining, visit www.tln.org.au forward slash join. If your school is a member of the Teacher Learning Network, you can produce a certificate recording your engagement with this podcast. These are great pieces of evidence for your professional learning records. You can generate a certificate by visiting www.tln.org.au forward slash podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback or input about the issues we've discussed today or any other suggestions for future podcasts. Please email any feedback or suggestions through to me via max at tln.org.au. If you like this podcast, please rate or review it in your podcast app. It helps us reach more teachers. Have a great day and you'll hear from us again in a couple of weeks.